Welcome to Medic's podcast, our MRCS revision series. My name's Manal Ahmed and I'm a vascular trainee. And I'm Matthias Fahavari, a general surgical registrar. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, make sure to subscribe to us here on Spotify. And also follow us on Twitter at Medex Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can always support our channel on Patreon, the link for which is provided below. And keep in mind that this is used 100% to run the podcast and help us to deliver high quality content for you guys. And remember, you can always send us feedback on Twitter and we would love to hear from you all. Hello guys, welcome to our podcast about general MRCS exam tips and techniques. We're going to take you through what is the MRCS, what's in the syllabus, how do you want to prepare yourself mentally, uh, physically and knowledge-wise to this exam. So let's begin. What is MRCS stands for? So the MRCS stands for the membership to the Royal College of Surgeons of Great Britain and Ireland. And this is a postgraduate diploma for surgeons uh, who are usually in foundation year or core surgical training, and they're looking to, you know, advance to specialty training. It's a combined exam or an intercollegiate exam amongst the four colleges. So the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, um, RCS England, RCS Glasgow, and RCSI as well. So when they say intercollegiate, what they really mean is that this is a, this exam is equivalent across these four colleges. Yes, so the four colleges recognise that one has passed these exams and it's applicable across the, the, the different colleges. Okay, yeah. so if you pass it in Edinburgh, your, your degree is recognised in all across these four regions, recognised in England, in Scotland or in Ireland, in fact. And Wales. Okay, <laughs> it's usually <laughs> associated with being a registrar in NHS terms. Yeah. However, this exam is sits all around the world, not in the, not just in the NHS. It is used as a benchmarking for surgeons, their skills, their knowledge, which is traditionally associated with very high quality. So holding MRCS titles after your name is very prestigious all over the world. Now, there's one more thing that comes with being MRCS is yeah. the use of so, Miss, Mrs and Mr. So what is that, Manal? So I actually, um, you know, I went from being a doctor to a miss when I did my MRCS. And uh, do you want to tell us about the history behind it? Yes. Yeah, so traditionally, barbers were surgeons or surgeons were barbers or the first surgeons, to be precise, were barbers. Medical doctors, they were white-collar people. They would not get their hands dirty with cutting, sewing or stitching people up. Mm. Hence, this job was traditionally done by barbers in the Middle Age, the United Kingdom or, or, or Great Britain. You know those uh, little poles that you see outside the barbershop, the red and white ones? Okay, what they're, are those? They're actually... So, in the olden days, in the medieval times, when barbers were also surgeons... They would actually put the drapes that they would treat the patients for, like bloodstained drapes, outside to advertise that they were surgeons as well. Oh, that's a very good advertisement. So the less red you see, mm. the better the barber is. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, certainly. Ideally, okay. So anyway, this is where Miss, Mrs. and MR and Mr. comes from. So what is the eligibility to be able to sit this exam? How can you be eligible? 
So to be eligible to sit the MRCS, you have to hold a medical degree that is accepted to the uh, United Kingdom General Medical Council or the GMC. Okay. And um, first-time applicants whose names are not on the register um, have to then, you know, submit a certificate to say that they are... Uh, they are eligible to, to, to be on the yeah, right. yeah. So if you're not GMC registered, you must be an undergraduate of a university that is recognized by the GMC. You can check that on the GMC website. And in your first time you're applying, you will have to submit your certificate. The application for the exam all happening online on the relevant college's website. And if you require a visa to come to any part of the exam into the UK, these colleges will be able to provide you with a letter and help you uh, to have a visa granted for the time of the exam. So get in touch with them. They are quite useful. Cool. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the format of the exam. There's two parts to the exam, isn't that right? That's correct. Part A and Part B. Mm. So what is Part A? So Part A is a five-hour MCQ exam, and this consists of two papers. A mm -hmm. morning paper, which is based on the basic sort of sciences, which includes physiology, and then an afternoon paper, which is more about the applied sciences that we learn. Okay, so the morning paper is slightly longer, it's three hours, and the afternoon paper is two hours. What a luck! Yeah, it's quite nice, especially after doing a you know, really long exam as well, yeah. Yeah, so recently, as of the pandemic, this exam, at least this part of the exam part A, has fully became online. Now, this is something that the colleges, as well as the candidates, are trialling out. Obviously, this is something that it has been forced uh, on all of us, really, to do it. Yeah. So, the rules are around that is not... I don't feel that it's fully set yet. The way it works, you have to sit in your room, you have to, apply, you have to install certain softwares onto your computer that blocks you being able to access Google and other resources. And there's also you have to switch on your camera on your laptop or on your computer and they will the software will check your gaze, uh, make sure that you're not looking behind the wall and so forth. Now, obviously this is a process that's being developed at the moment. There are occasional problems with that. So I would truly recommend to when you do your practice rounds, to, to try to just to focus on the computer screen, not look around, not move around, not talk, not hum, don't sing. I mean, you wouldn't really do that in a real exam situation anyway if you were sitting, sit this exam uh, somewhere else away from at home. But this is important because if you are doing these things, you have a chance that the software will flag you up as a potential uh, uh, breach of exam regulations. In those cases, then you may have to answer questions and so forth and explain what you were doing. Uh, I know it feels like a difficult thing to do, but I think it's important and you have to understand that this is something that's being developed at the moment uh, and we will just all have to live with that. Nobody wanted this pandemic to go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. The important thing, or I suppose one of the other factors that we need to consider in part A is, is that now this is primarily an MCQ-based exam, Yeah. whereas in the past it used to have uh, MCQs and single best answers, or SBAs. Okay, so just for, for junior listeners, what is MCQ? What does that stand for? 
uh, multiple choice questions. And how does that work? So you've got a question and then you've got, let's say, five answers. What do you have to do? You have to pick one of the five or one of the four options. Exactly. So all of the part A questions are... Now MCQs. From this type. So one question, several options, and you have to pick one option out. How about part B? Uh, part B is an OSCE exam or an objective structured clinical exam. Mm -hmm. um, and it's quite similar to how the medical school exams happen nowadays. So this has multiple stations, uh, which are sort of spread throughout the day. And it's a day long exam. And these stations assess multiple things. So mm -hmm. they assess the anatomy and surgical pathology, the applied surgical sciences, critical care, uh, clinical and procedural skills and communication skills as well. Yeah, so we will talk a little bit more about the syllabus in a minute, but essentially that's what's being tested uh, for in part B. What about the dress code? What sort of dress should we wear? So in terms of the dress code, there's nothing set in stone. However, um, the college does expect you to dress professionally. Now, when I say professionally, I'm not saying, you know, suit and tie. Mm. Um, you want to make sure that you're wearing something fairly comfortable, but, you know, semi-professional. Um, and you obviously want to make sure that you are bare below the elbows. If you decide to wear a tie, that you tuck it in. Um, and that you're not wearing, you know, lots of like watches and jewellery and stuff when you walk into the exam. Yeah, so I mean, you should just, like, as like generally in a working day in the NHS, apart from a wedding band, yes. you should be completely bare below the elbow. I remember when I said the MRCS, we were, I think myself and maybe a few other candidates, uh, male candidates had uh, ties, but... Uh, the rest of them did not, so I actually would say you do not need to wear a tie, mm. it's not expected anymore, Absolutely. and it's just, again, another thing that you have to pay attention to and potentially reduces your venous circulation around the neck <laughs> and so forth, so you don't, you, you don't want to wear a tie, yeah, uh, and most people will not. Yeah. Do you have any advice about what people should do, you know, coming up to the exam or, say, the day before the exam? So, first of all... On the day of the exam, before we, let's just start, on the day of the exam, you should arrive early, and that's mm -hmm. the most important thing. You do not want to put yourself under any sort of stress in terms of heavy traffic, broken down public transport, whatever. You just, just give yourself plenty of time uh, and arrive early. And I will give you some tips in a minute, or we will give you some tips in a minute what to do on the, that spare time that you have before the exam. Now, if you live in an, any other city than the exam is, I would truly recommend to, make, to, to spend a night or even a couple of nights or a few nights before the exam in the, in the city where you are actually sitting the exam. Try to find a hotel or accommodation close to the exam menu. Also, on the morning of the exam, I honestly think the best thing to do is just not to switch your mobile phone on. Do not get tangled up in work-related issues, upsetting emails, whatever. Just wake up and leave it in airplane mode. You are going to your exam. They won't call you from the exam, or very unlikely they would. Uh, just go there straight away. Don't check your emails. Don't check your WhatsApp group. Don't check the news. Just focus on the exam itself. It starts early enough in the morning. And one more tip. How about caffeine? 
Ah, so you want to make sure that you're, you know, not over caffeinated because obviously your anxiety levels are going to be high enough. So then to supplement that with additional caffeine, is just not a good idea. You know, just have a cup of tea or like something light, but don't have like two Americanos before walking into the exam. Particularly because it's going to make some people go to the toilet. And that's another thing you don't want during the exam. How about the night before? Should you be revising? So do not revise the night before the exam. It's only going to stress you out. Mm-hmm. Try and get a good, you know, a good night's sleep. Make sure you're in a comfortable environment. And uh, I think relaxing is quite important as well. Super important. So what I would say is way before the exam, months before the exam, try to find yourself a nice good memory or uh, remember to a calm place or some fun time that you had with your friends, family, partner, whoever, and treasure that memory and keep it safe in your mind. And whenever you get stressed around the exam, the night before or the morning of the exam, bring these good memories back. And trust me, this will help you to relax and calm down. Now, if you don't pick these memories early enough in time, when you're stressed, you will be struggling to find these. So overall, relaxation techniques, as well as exercise, such as going for a run or a bike ride, seems to be effective and improves the outcome of the exam. So what stage of your career should you be looking into sitting this exam? So it really depends on your situation. Mm-hmm. Now, graduates who have you know, completed MCQ-type questions can certainly you know, sit part A as soon as they've graduated. Yeah. Um, so F1, F2 is, you know, acceptable. But you can also do it during core surgical training. Um, if you have not done MCQs in the past or, you know, if you feel that you need perhaps a little bit more time, then it's better to plan ahead. Okay. Uh, how about part B? When should you sit part B? What stage of your career? So part B, you can sit during core surgical training. Um, But you can also sit at sort of, you know, late F2 as well. Yeah. The important thing is that you have it done by the time you apply for ST3. I think it very much depends on your exposure as well. But generally speaking, it's best to sit by B once you've developed your clinical skills a little bit. Now, how about the syllabus? What is the first thing you need to do before, even before you start preparing for the exam? So it's really important to first read the most updated guidance on what the syllabus is. And this is available on the intercollegiate websites. So you can easily check that out and start preparing early for it. Yeah, I think that's very important. Number one, you need to know what you are starting or what you are trying to achieve. Number two, it's very good to see how many things they are asking so you will not underestimate the amount of work this needs to be done in order to pass the MRCS. As I don't think we said it yet, but this is indeed a very, very difficult exam. So just generally about the syllabus, as I said, read it. But in summary, it's the most important part or the most important thing is anatomy. This is in the center of everything they ask. And that's probably the most difficult thing to learn as well. So start revising anatomy as soon as you can. Moreover, usually the college is giving you uh, a chance to go and see the anatomy preparations. So if you are in a position that you can uh, access one of the colleges, you're welcome to come in and take part in the so-called MRCS uh, training sessions. 
If you're not living in the UK or around any of the colleges, try to find a local anatomy department where you actually can physically revise specimens. There are skills, including basic surgical and examination skills assessed. You need to have a general knowledge of physiology and pathology that is related to surgery. And you will also be asked loads of clinical questions from all surgical subspecialties, all fields of surgery. And moreover, I think I've said anatomy, but I just must repeat it. You need to study anatomy. Yeah, anatomy is very, very high yield. So the vast majority of your revision should be centered around that. But then also, you know, not to sort of leave behind the physiology and pathophysiology involved as well. No, of course. Yeah. So how about preparation time? How long do you need? So it really depends on how comfortable you are with your background knowledge mm -hmm. and how confident you feel with, you know, your mastery, I suppose, of the syllabus. Um, I would say, you know, anywhere between two to six months, ideally, you know, on the six month side. And the reason I say this is because, you know, obviously it's, it's a huge amount of information to cover. But if you're working, then you also have to take into account on calls, being on nights, um, you know, doing sort of extracurricular work at the hospital, like audits and stuff. So yeah, give exactly. yourself plenty of time to revise, not just once, but, you know, maybe more than once. And when you do that, you must maintain one important principle. You will have to be on the peak of your knowledge or the peak of your performance when you're sitting the exam. So you don't want to start six months ahead mm. by doing loads of loads of questions because then by the time you get to the exam, that sort of wears off. So you want to start with something more general, such as our podcast. You want to get your background knowledge, your basic knowledge, strengthen it up, understand processes, have a general overview and slowly build up towards the questions or for part B, the examination skills and so forth. Anatomy, another thing. This yeah. is something that you want to start early to have the background knowledge and then gen generally building up and, and doing more and more questions or more and more preparation for part B. Yeah, and also it's it's good if you, you know, write out a schedule of how your studying is going to be. The one thing I will say is when you are, you know, setting up a schedule, always leave one or two buffer weeks in between because yeah. you know things don't always go to plan things can happen and so always give yourself enough time so that you're not rushing coming up to the exam itself the other thing is if your first language is not english such as me you want to focus on the language barrier as well because no matter how many years you lived in the uk or how good is your english it will not be the same uh for you so yeah Monal is pulling a face, but it's I'm true. Not, no, I know. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. So moving on, um, what about the results and exam marking? Okay, so it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult question. So they mark the exam in a way that they compare candidates in t against each other. The pass rate traditionally is less than 40%. That is not very high at all. Not at all. Right. So it's somewhere in between 33 to 40%, wow. which is usually correlates to a 70% pass mark. So you need to score around 70 plus percent to be passing this exam. Yeah. We're okay. talking about part A. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, so not all questions will count into your final results. They will make that clear on the day as well, but better to know it early. Yes. So you, there will be some questions that they trial. 
The way the college sets up these examinations that they have a question bank and they pull questions out for each examination. Some of the questions in the question banks are new questions which they compare to existing questions because they want to make sure that, that, uh, that they're not too difficult or not too easy and they're understandable as well. So not everything will count. And then at the end they will, they will calculate a mark to everyone and the top 40 or 33 to 40% will pass. Cool. And then for part B, if I'm not wrong, I think part B, the pass mark is determined by how well the overall cohort has performed. Isn't that correct? I think so. Yes, yeah. that's definitely because obviously that you, you, you are going in groups or in, I don't know, it's like in my part B, I think there was 30, 40 people yeah, or something like that. that. Yeah. And then they compare your performance against those or even maybe so I think they're looking at the examiners so for for cohorts of the same examiners maybe so I know like whenever any exams happen whether it's OSCEs at an undergrad level or yeah. postgrad each examiner you know they do put all of the markings through statistical analysis yeah um, but I think in order to determine whether a, a person has passed or not I think what they look at is how everyone has performed overall and then they create a bell curve and then from that they can decide what the pass mark should be okay fine a final point is how to study uh, and how does our podcast fits into this regime so how do you want to study to this exam or not so I think, you know, th this podcast is essentially a supplement to your existing studying regimen. Um, the purpose of this is not sort of didactic, you know, full-time mm. teaching. It's more sort of easy listening that you can do, you know, during your commute to work. Or, yeah. you know, if you've got like a couple of free minutes, you can just have a listen and sort of, you know, keep revising in the background. Um, I think our aim is to provide the most essential background knowledge that you will need for part A and part B, but yeah, exactly. also like moving on sort of, you know, when you get to ST3 level, you will need to know a lot of this yeah, stuff anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're trying to provide you a knowledge that is relevant to both the exam and to your uh, clinical practice in, day, in everyday life. What we mean by supplement that we understand that this podcast will not take over the role of question banks mm. and it will not take uh, over the role of watching videos on YouTube, for example, of how to perform a clinical examination. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in a logical, uh, exam type, systematic exam yeah. type sort of fashion. But it will make these activities so much easier because what we aim to do is give you the background knowledge. So when you do your question bank, you will understand the questions better. And even if you make a mistake, you will understand where the mistake was. So it will speed up the process and make it a lot more effective and equally to part b we will be focusing on knowledge very relevant to part b or we are focusing on those knowledge and we're also giving you exam tips and techniques and we're certainly bringing up common scenarios that yes. come up in the exam all the time uh, so we will be giving more information on those awesome so I think that sort of concludes our session on, you know, a quick overview of how the MRCS works. Um, we would love to hear back from you. And especially, you know, if you guys have any questions, um, let us know and we can sort of, you know, provide more content according to that. But until then, keep, keep pushing, pushing yourself. yourself.